for the last 20 years in mission work and even as they continue today, as, as Jackie led us in communion and Craig speaks the word now, Father, anoint him for this task. Father, empower him for this task. Help him to, help him to remember what he's prepared. Give him the strength to preach at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock today. And Father, we pray that you will give us ears and hearts open to receive, God, what you are saying to us today. God, that you will use this message to bring transformation to our lives, that we will live in greater freedom and have a desire to fulfill your purpose for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Nathan. I've been in church for about 50 of my 55 years. And I believe I can say confidently this is probably the most generous or generous-hearted church that I've been in. And if you want to see revival or growth or expanding to other churches, then one of the things, maybe not the only thing, but one seems to be being generous. And this church has certainly done that. And I've just been amazed with our own family how this church uh, looked after us on the mission field. Um, And then even since we've been back, provided us with a home. And then one morning we had to move from Blacktown to Moorbank and I was in hospital and the church moved our possessions from Blacktown to Moorbank in half a day. So they were there at lunchtime that day. So I don't know about you, I find that kind of stuff a bit overwhelming. So lovely to be in. I love uh, Nathan's attitude to life and I'm still trying to work him out after all these years. He's an amazing person. But some of the attitudes that I see of, yeah, you are too, right? The generosity, just, uh, that's just an incredible um, kickoff. So lovely to be here and lovely to be getting involved in this church and starting to say our church, not your church. I've got to start to say our church. I'm getting, I'm getting used to that um, practice as well. Why don't we pray for a minute? Father, thank you that you are love, that you are kind that you are good, that you are for us, that you are with us, that you're our friend. And we give you this time, Father, and pray you speak to our hearts and our minds, God. And we do that, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Um, Australia, you might have noticed in the last, or in your lifetimes, has had a moral decline. Moral decline. Somewhere in my notes today, it says that probably since about the time of the Beatles, from about then onwards, which is about my lifetime, uh, morality in Australia and the West has sadly declined. And uh, today, Nathan was asking for kind of a life message. Well, this would be my life message. I've shared this message or the guts. Actually, it's new today. This uh, you can see behind me. Um, I'll explain what the, the cannons are. Anyone know what this is? Can anyone work out what this is? Not, I can see the academics. Anybody else? Ten Commandments. Very good. And we're a little bit out of touch with it, but I've tried to summarize it for you. I'll explain what the canons bit means in a moment. Exodus 20, if you want to have a look through there. But that's where we're heading, and that's a little bit of a, a summary. But if you wanted a, an overall picture for today, that the ways of God are actually good, and we tend to think that they're restrictive and boring, but they're actually good. That was our first mistake. And then that the commandments point us to Jesus because they show us our need for the forgiveness of God, which is available through Jesus, and it's not available through any other faith. So the Ten Commandments is, if you will, the, the uh, moral 
basis that we've been living on for about 3,000 years. It's only since the Beatles that we started to scrap it. But for about 3,000 years, we've had this Ten Commandments as a basis to the Judeo-Christian way of living. The laws are broader than that, and there's some good laws there. They cover things, anything from seafood to mildew and other things. Well, I won't get to seafood and mildew today, but the Ten Commandments seem to be to be a moral minimum or basis. You're not saved by them. You're not saved by keeping them, but they show us the morality that we need to, um, I think, honour and respect and even practice where we can. Probably the most useful message I've had since... I was 22, and this idea about the commandments is a thing that has um, challenged me so much since the age of 22 when I first accepted Jesus. I've preached this message on most continents except probably uh, not South America, but um, every other one I think I would have. The Philippines, I remember going up into a tribal group in the southern Philippines, way up in the mountains, the people wore we call them lap laps, just, you know, really loin, loin cloths, right up in the mountains of the southern Philippines and preaching this message there through two translators. So there was three of us out the front. One translator wasn't enough because we were translating into a, um, a dialect. And even then, this is the message that I had on my, um, on my heart. And some people would say, oh, this is just a Jewish guy who walked up a mountain 3,000 years ago and had some ideas. Well, can I say I'm persuaded after 55 years of life that that's not true and that a Jewish guy walking up a hill 3,000 years ago wasn't enough to get this message. There's no way a human could dream up these ideas and these concepts, these commandments, just by walking up a hill on his own. These are God-given commandments that are meant to be the moral basis for our society. So they were given to Moses... But it wasn't just ideas from a man. Some of us um, have experienced gravity. I've had some problems with gravity through my life. I've broken stacks of bones due to gravity or not respecting gravity. If you went up on the roof here and you jumped off, you'd have a problem, yes? And there's some laws like that that are kind of there when I like them and they're there when I not like them, when I don't like them. But they're there. They're laws that are in place all the time, God put them there, and when you observe them, they keep us on the ground, we don't float, that's an advantage, and you can work with them. Well, I want to put it to you that the commandments, though we've uh, scrapped them largely, are like gravity. They're there, they work, they're principles that God has put in place, and we weren't meant to ignore them, and the same sort of thing happens like if you ignore gravity, if you ignore the commandments. Other thing, we can't ignore sleep for too long or we have a problem. Can't ignore gravity too much. And the commandments too, I believe, we cannot afford to ignore them as well. Just like the gravity law has a tension for our lives, the adultery uh, commandment will bring attention to our life. When I hear someone preach about adultery, that probably will make me want to be more modest and more careful, uh, more careful what I do with my sight, with what I look at. With the tension of the stealing commandment, when I hear that commandment, something might happen in my heart and I might want to be more careful of working, of uh, not going after other people's stuff, obviously, but being disciplined in my life and being responsible for my own 
property. Our society needs a conscience, but in the last 50 years, we've basically quickly, of our own intent, of our own desire, been losing a moral conscience and a moral way. The Bible says, without a vision, we cast off restraint. Without a vision, the people perish. And I believe in Australia, though we look nice on the outside with our big houses and stuff, inside, morally, for 50 years, we've been increasingly decreasing. Our morality has been going down. Our vision of what we should be doing, what we should look like, how life should be run and done, has been going downhill quickly. And now, without a vision... We cast off restraint. And boy, aren't we casting off restraint in Australia real quick. Is that right? And we're developing a morality that's just whatever I feel like. I'll bring my toothbrush over to your place and we'll move in and we'll just be friends. It'll just be easy that way. Our morality has been going downhill. Friends of, or children of friends of ours many of them that I can observe, have grown up not knowing anything about the Ten Commandments. And you see it as they get older in their lives. They don't have a fear of God. I grew up with Ten Commandments, fear of God, and it's made a difference in my life. Whether I broke those commandments or not, they were there, I knew them. But I've got children that I know of, of friends, and I can see they don't have that. They're not sent to Sunday school like these kids that just went out of here. So they don't know. And so it becomes a rougher world to grow up in. And then when you say, oh, you can be forgiven by Jesus, bless God, they say, for what? What do you you need the forgiveness of Jesus for if I haven't done anything wrong? If I'm making up my own morality, if I'm making it up as I go along, what do I need the forgiveness of Jesus for anyway? What are you moralizing at me for? So it's got a bit bumpy in Australia. We are not saved. Hear this real clear. If you've got to sleep, if you're falling asleep already, wake up for this bit. We are not saved by the law. So don't come up to me after this message over coffee and say, Craig, are you telling us we're saved by the law? We are not. Here's a verse that I like a lot. Romans 3 verse 20. It says, through the law comes the knowledge of sin. That's the, that's the last purpose, if you will, or the final purpose of the law is to show us our sin and therefore our need for Jesus. That's the point of the law for us who know so much about grace. Oh, we love the grace. And we're not so keen on the law, but the point of the law is to point us to Jesus. Not to ignore it, but to point us to Jesus. Through the law comes the knowledge of sin. We're saved through the blood of Jesus, by the cross, by faith in Jesus. That's how we're saved. We celebrate it in communion. We celebrate it all the time. Sometimes I wonder if we're not so big into grace and big into the blood of Jesus that we forget what we were forgiven for and therefore don't really appreciate what we were forgiven for. Maybe. Maybe. So I get saved at one point on Australia Day in 1983, thoroughly saved, thoroughly converted. And from that point onwards, I try and become more like Jesus. I try and become more holy. Don't always get it right. But I have been saved. So I live in that tension that I have been saved in 1983, and I'm not perfect yet, but I'm still pushing forward, trying to become more holy. That's the tension that we're living in, yes? That's the tension that we live in at the moment, today. Our goal is to become more moral. Those words are connected, moral, morality, morale. Underneath in Australia, 
has not the morale of Australia declined as our morality declined, as our morals have declined underneath? Isn't there really a bit of a guilty feeling, although we don't know what it is exactly, but our morale has been declining through those 50 years. So underneath, our morale is actually a bit low and a bit murky and a bit hard to work out. Jesus, in Matthew 5.17, he said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. Maybe to expand that a little bit. I didn't come to destroy the laws. I came to fulfill them or to bring the spirit of them or to bring them alive. But I didn't come to destroy them. I came to provide forgiveness to us for them, for breaking them. But he didn't come to destroy them. He came to fulfill them. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 16 talks about the laws of the heart. If you say I'm only into grace and I'm not into law, then what is Hebrews talking about when it talks about the laws of the heart? I love that, the laws of the heart. So through the years, through knowing about the commandments, the laws of God have been stuck in me, if you will. I know the laws of God are in my heart. I know if I get them right sometimes, I know if I get them wrong sometimes, but they're in my heart. Pity for those kids that I talked about who don't know that privilege. They don't know it. I want to point something out to you in my little chart here today. When I talk to my father-in-law, God bless him, he doesn't share my faith yet. When he talks about he doesn't need Jesus, he normally says, or he's often said this, he says, um, I never killed anybody. I never killed them. Most of us haven't killed anybody, have we? That's not a really big achievement not to kill somebody, is it? Huh? <laughs> and at the moment, friends, you're perfectly, if you say, oh, I can't keep the commandments. At the moment, I can see there's no murders going on here. So you are perfectly practicing the seventh commandment at the moment because you're not murdering anybody. Okay, so bless you. Well done. Well done. Okay. Now, so my father-in-law says, I don't kill. No, it's not number seven. Get it right, Craig. Number six. That's how we've got to remind ourselves. Yes. He says, I don't kill anybody, Craig. Well, do you know that I don't kill anybody, Craig, comes in only at number six. Number six. And I want to, if you don't learn anything else today, learn this one too. I believe there's an order to the commandments. And I know we've ignored them. I know we scrapped them a long time ago. I don't think we were meant to. And as we try and bring them back, I want us to recognize there's an order or a hierarchy to them. Easy to understand because the God ones are at the top and the human people ones are down below. There's at least a hierarchy there, right? But there's more, even more hierarchy than that in them, I think, as well. So top three about God. Interesting, the fourth one is about God and man. That's the one we really scrapped, was the Sabbath. Um, that one's about God and man as they sort of interlink. And then we go parents and murder. But get this, the one that my father-in-law is so concerned about, the murder one, only number six. But how is it and why is it, I want to ask you today, that this is a rhetorical, that parents and Sabbath that we scrapped is higher in the order than murder. Why? In India they say Q. Why? Why would parents and murder, uh, sorry, parents and Sabbath, be higher than murder. Who's got an answer on that that's comprehensive? Comprehensive answer on that. Easy to get why the God ones is above. 
Why would those two be above murder in importance? I was in, had the privilege to be in Israel twice. And on a Friday night in Israel, we were at Tel Aviv looking over, I guess it would have been the Mediterranean Sea. Church is about to start at sunset. And just prior to that, we were downstairs in the village and I saw all the shops closing at about sunset. All the shops closing. It was lovely. And there was a piece came across Tel Aviv all at the same time. There was a community feeling to the commandment. So murder, to answer the question, murder is normally about one person getting murdered, normally. But Sabbath is meant to be to do with a community, a whole community, trying to not go crazy because it had some rest. And in Israel, I saw this beautiful thing today, you know, recently, of peace coming across a whole community because they had a Sabbath together. Not, not legalism, just rest and peace coming across a community. So the Sabbath is more important than murder because murder is normally affecting one person, but Sabbath is meant to be affecting a whole society, if you will. Parents. When parents are dishonoured, as they, I believe they have been in our society, and we treat parents like rubbish, sometimes, but increasingly, that doesn't honour anything. It doesn't enhance stability in our society. It undermines, and it's even meant to undermine our society. So if a society gets undermined, if it gets weakened because we're being disrespectful or dishonouring to parents, then a society becomes weak. That would be some reasons I can think of because parents, again, is a whole society thing. So that would be some reasons why parents, honouring parents and Sabbath would be above murder. But you see, for most of us, we don't even think like that because we're so out of touch with the morality which was meant to be so normal to Jesus, that Jesus just saw as being part and parcel of life. Here's another one for you that we don't like too much in Matthew 5, verse 48. I noticed just about all my New Testament Testament references today were from Matthew because, as I think Nathan told us a little while back, it was written for the Jews, and so he's connecting with the Jewish people, and so there's that kind of flavor there. But in Matthew 5, verse 48, it says, Be perfect. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Hmm. But in Aussie, we say nobody's perfect. So say the Bible's wrong. Be perfect. And in Aussie, we say nobody's perfect. What do you do with that? How does it it work? We're meant to become more like Jesus. He's perfect. How do we do this? If you've ever had a house or built a house, or if you have one now, if it's crooked, you'd prefer it was straight. When you start building a house, you want the plans to be straight. You don't want them crooked. And so in our lives, we see a bit of crooked on a pretty regular basis, in our hearts at least. And yet we want straight. We want perfection. That desire is there too. So with the plans of a house, the house may be needing renovation. Our kitchen needed some renovation recently. So there's a vision for perfection and there's something you're trying to fix up. Be perfect would be 
to like present tense continuous means something that we're aiming for. I may not be there yet. I may not be perfect now. The house might be a little bit crooked now. The kitchen might be a little bit messed up now. But be perfect is aim for something that's perfect. Tomorrow morning when you start your work, at your work, aim for what is perfect. You may not be perfect yet, but that's the tension of the Christian morality and Christian life. Is it making sense? So be perfect would be what I'm working for, what I'm aiming for. It's not a condemnation of what you're not yet. Also with the commandments, you can combine a couple. Um, stealing. If I don't, it doesn't say anything about work on the commandments. And yet I believe if you could do all these perfectly, you'd cover all of life really well. Stealing, if it says don't steal, then I mean I have to work. I should be working. So it does mention work. Another place that mentions work is Sabbath. If I meant to have a day off a week, that would mean, that means I'm working for six days. So I'm not stealing. I've got to work. And I've also found out here that I get a day off, which is very nice, although we avoid it. And but then I have to work for six days by definition. So you can put a couple of the commandments together and let them um, instruct your life or help your life. Thank you, Pastor. Okay. All right. So let's have a look. There's a, I really like doing that stuff there as introduction to Christian morality or looking at the commandments and how they apply because we've ignored them so much at our own expense. Let's have a zoom in a little bit. Let's zoom in a little bit on number one. No other gods. I've got gods up there. It's talking about no other gods but the God who made the Pacific Ocean. Politically correct, or tell us we're not supposed to talk about Islam. Islam talks about us. Don't hear me saying anything against Islam today, but I just, some of the things Islam says against us, we say Jesus is the Son of God. They say, "Uh uh-uh. We actually say that Jesus is God. They say, no. So there's two points where what Muslims say of us, in what's very basic to us, Father, Son and Holy Ghost, is God. Jesus is God. Jesus is God's Son. The Muslims say, we don't accept all or any of that. Not what I'm saying of them. I'm not saying anything negative of them. What they say of us... And the first commandment says, Here, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one, and there are to be no other gods. So if another god is different to our god, we have to work out which god we're going to serve. And my Muslim friends, the cousins I call them, cousins from Abraham, they say these things about our god, and that's different, and I have to observe the god who made the Pacific Ocean, And there's some things in his nature like the Trinity. And that's the God that I'm going with. And not gods who other people tell me are different to that. The Hindus say there are millions of gods. Well, that's not what this commandment is telling me. One God. Not millions of gods. So again, I'm not saying something to put down my Hindu friends who I love. They say there's millions of gods. The Bible says there's one God. And I fear that one God with a lovely brother in India. We did a stack of ministry. He was only, I don't know, he was way younger than me, probably 20 years younger than me. 
son of a Baptist pastor, just fantastic. He said this one day that he thought of himself. He said, the Muslims say that you should not eat pork and the Hindus say you should not eat beef. So the Hindu god or gods say don't eat beef. The Muslim god says don't eat pork. So my Indian friend says, so that means you're not going to the same place. They're, they're different gods. That's my Indian friend saying that. And yet in Australia we say all roads lead to Rome. And he's saying, well, Rome's not the same place. There's two Romes. And that makes us feel a bit uncomfortable. But bless my friend in India for thinking like that and pointing stuff out that we think we're not allowed to say because the politically correct tell us that we're not supposed to think like that. So, no other gods. You've got to work out which god you're going to serve. I want to serve the god who made the Pacific Ocean and whose son is Jesus, and who became Jesus, who became flesh as a man and dwelt amongst us. That's the God that I've picked to serve. And then the first commandment teaches me no other gods. And we need, rather than doing the groovy thing of all roads lead to Rome, my Indian friend says all roads don't lead to Rome. Idols, number two. We'll see how many we can fit in today. Idols, number two. Normally with idols, we just think of the Eastern world. They, oh, they have idols, so we're free in the West. Hmm. We're okay in the West because they just have idols in the East. Well, if you saw me watching the Bulldogs sometimes. <laughs> I wasn't Friday night, by the way. I was very quiet on Friday night while I was doing the sermon. I had two screens on the desk, I'll confess there, you know. But... <laughs> Not, not much to watch, not much to watch on Friday nights. I wasn't very idolatrous on, I could start condemning them on Friday night, you know. But sometimes I can remember a couple of grand finals where my family would just rise off, rise off the seats as one. Whoa, dogs, you know, and tries were scored. Whoa, we're moving, you know. But when I go to some of the churches I've been through to my, in my life, it's meant to be quiet and respectful. And, hmm. Not at Lifegate, not at Lifegate, it's a crazy church, so I, I can be, I don't have to have an idolatrous problem here because I can be here like I am with the Bulldogs, you know, I can, I can jump around and I don't have to have any incon- inconsistencies. I don't have to, I've got to think, and it is a problem sometimes. Maybe I'm 40% idolatrous when it comes to the Bulldogs. Sometimes we go, oh, I'm, I'm not, I would never have the Bulldogs as an idol, 10%? Would it be a 10%? Oh, wouldn't it wouldn't be good if we think like that. I think the, the commandments are by degree. If we think of them by degree, then, oh, that'll push me to Jesus. That'll push me to Jesus. But then, oh, I'm not into idols at all. I don't really make the bulldogs an idol. Well, maybe I do a little bit. And, and so, therefore, there's a tension for my heart, and then that pushes my heart to Jesus. You like thinking like that? A bit different, isn't it? Think like that, how it works. 1, 1 John 5 verse 21 says, keep yourself from idols. And it repeats the commandments. There's many times like that with Jesus and other times in the New Testament when it kind of honors the commandments, repeats the commandments. So there's no tension between the New Testament and the Old Testament. Number three, blasphemy. How many movies do you watch? where 
the name of God and the name of Jesus is just used like a swear word. Sometimes I think they'd be better off to use the F word and those sort of words than Jesus' name. How dare we use Jesus' name or God's name thinking that's okay and then we don't think the other words are okay. You know, it's kind of messy, isn't it? I was down at Moorbank at a cafe recently and writing some notes and doing some stuff on the phone and there were three guys near me with children and F was like every second word for about, I don't know, it felt like an hour. I mean, like, and I was a bit scared to actually pull them up on it because I wasn't sure what was going to happen to me. But it was like, guys, can't we do better than that? You know, you've got kids there, you've got the whole thing. And you saying F is kind of tough. It's like, you know, and it made me think about like who does, if you own the world and if it's your world, then you can say what you like. But if you don't, you're kind of an imposter cursing in this world that you don't own. The only person really to have the right to curse is God and he doesn't need to. It's his, it's his world. But these guys using that F word like it was their adjective every second sentence, it's like how can God, then we want, and then we want God to bless us or we get upset if something goes wrong and we've just been cursing his world like that and just saying, oh, ho-hum, just doesn't matter. Or using his name in movies as a swear word. Imagine if I started saying, if I hit my thumb with a hammer, I said, oh, Nathan, you know. <laughs> After a while, Nathan might come up and say, Craig, please don't use my name like that. I really don't like it when you do that. Or, or you know, when you hit your thumb with a hammer, hit your thumb with a hammer and you go, oh, Jesus. So what do you pick on Jesus for when you hit your thumb why shouldn't we, you know, we should talk to the politically correct and make it, oh, Buddha, or oh, Muhammad, to make it even and politically correct. When we hit our thumb, it should be just for some variety, make it, oh, Buddha, or oh, Muhammad, just for, just for something different. I've already mentioned the Sabbath, because Sabbath was something that I ignored at my own peril for so long, and I've already met a few people here, and I think maybe there's some Sabbath breaking that's at your expense. At your cost, Will Hopawate, you can see I'm a bit of a bulldog fanatic, Will Hopawate, in his negotiation with the Bulldogs, said, I'm not going to play in the grand final. Whoa, what is that? Because the grand final is played on a Sunday. And when he negotiated, now he's from a different faith or religion to us, actually. But there's something there about the point of the Sabbath. And he told the Bulldogs, I won't be playing in the grand final if we get in because my Sabbath is on a Sunday. Mm. Now, we don't even touch that in our... Um, but there's something there that's kind of like, wow, that's impressive. And all these other guys, the guy who went to China and he was the flying Scotsman, you know, wow, pulled out of Olympic, grand, Olympic finals in his main events. I don't think you have to... It, Sunday is a great day for Sabbath, but priests sometimes... Um, were working in the temple and they, I think they would take other days. So I think you could have taken another day for your Sabbath and maybe I should talk to Will Hopawade about taking, especially at the grand final. We should get him on another day there, don't you think? We'll do something about that. Um, if there's no Sabbath and you haven't had a breakdown then yet, if you're not taking a Sabbath and you haven't had a breakdown yet, you're not working hard enough. All right? So keep... If you're going to do the work thing, open seven days a week, I don't need rest, tough guy stuff. If you haven't had the breakdown yet, 
you're not working hard enough. Okay, so keep working and you'll see how it works. But push, push, and you'll get there. Okay? Or God made a Sabbath for you that was meant to be nice. And here's a problem that's even a bit more close to the bone for we Christians. We get in our tough jobs all week for five days, then we work and earn our salvation all weekend at the church. Ooh. I may not get asked back to preach after this one. All right. One, one day a week is meant to be a credit, is meant to be nice, is meant to be good, is meant to be a Sabbath. Not legal, nice. Do you understand nice? Do you understand chocolate? Like that, nice. That's what a Sabbath meant to be. It wasn't something where we sit there and frown all day or whatever. So if you are working flat out for your job and flat out for the church and never resting, I'm not sure if God is into that. And maybe that means you might have to choose and you might have to take some tough decisions like less secular work, quit the secular work. If you really want to bless God, take up your full-time job, which I did when I was 24 or something. That makes sense. Full-time, 30 years. I'm not, that's not to boast, that's just to say a reality. But you've got to choose sometimes. You want to bless God and work for God and keep your other job, there's going to be a clash. And, and God is not honoured by breakdown and by burnout. So I'm not saying don't work for God, but there needs to be a day there that's good. And if that means I've got to do less secular work and so I can do more Christian work, then we might need to do that. Isaiah 30, verse 15. Isaiah 30, verse 15. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. I'm God, if, I can imagine God saying to you, I wanted to give you a good thing, and you said, go away. I wanted to give you a good thing, which was a day off, which was really nice, and you said, no, I'm going to be busy all the time. I'm going to be earning money all the time because I get my security out of my work. So if I keep working, I feel secure, and I don't really have to face myself. I wanted to give you a good thing in the Sabbath, and you said, basically go away to God. I don't want the good thing. Parents. Number five, I've got, I've got a parent here, so if you want to check me out, you can talk to my parent today, my mother, mm. who, um, who I want to honour and bless all the ways, all that she's... In fact, my gift of evangelism, friends, probably God used to bring to me through my mother. So there you go. And she's here today. Number five is parents. You want to honour your parents, what does that mean? Just be religious with them? No, be a friend. Be a friend to them if you can. Be kind. Look out for them. Be respectful. Try and be like a friend to your mother or your father. And if you're out of relationship with them at the moment, I'd really suggest a quick phone call tomorrow and get it something working, something respectful, something honouring, something friendly. New Testament again affirms the Old Testament, Jesus saying, Honour your father and mother. He who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. Well, he's quoting the Old Testament. I talked to the pastor's mother one day, Mrs. Green, and she was saying, um, we honour our parents, but when there's other adults who are similar age to our parents, it's also good that we honour them. And we talked about, whether we use respectful terms like Mr. and Mrs. And we had a good long conversation on that. And our conversation, our, our society's kind of dropped the ball on that a little bit too through the years of respectfulness. 
to, uh, to elders. But here's an example. John Howard, if you remember him when he was Prime Minister, apparently, I think he was in Sydney, I think he was up in northern suburbs, and he was getting some petrol or something. He was getting some petrol. I guess he had to do that sometimes. And um, somebody was watching him, and there was a young teenager nearby, and this young teenager yells out to the Prime Minister of Australia. He says, oh, hi, little Johnny. How are you going? With a, with a you know, full dose of respect there, you know. <laughs> and we think that's funny and, you know, it's an area where we've slipped a lot. So let's try and lift that up a little bit of um, respect. Respect, honouring, honour your parents, be friends with your parents, be respectful to your parents. Number six, murder. You know, it's not good to murder people and it helps your life if you don't murder people. So the commandments are actually helpful because God's saying don't kill people, don't murder people. And if you do that, that's going to bless your life because if you murder people, you're going to have a problem. Don't you find how, don't you like how the commandments are useful? They're helpful. They're not restrictive, they're helpful. So it's good to, we had one at um, Bankstown. They're always changing the name. Every time I go overseas, they change the name of that mall. Centro, Bankstown Square, now Bankstown Central. But murder there yesterday, that's a bit close to home, isn't it? If you're in the wrong shop yesterday or the wrong place yesterday. So we don't want that in our society. We don't want the mass killings in our society. So we need to bring or encourage or use the sixth commandment where we can to bring something good back to our society. Amen. Are we saved by the law? No, we're saved by the blood of Jesus. But this will help. This will help not having people murdered at Bankstown Central Mall. Jesus, you think that Jesus is into grace and the Old Testament was tough into law. But Jesus talking about the commandments, Jesus is tough. Jesus says, you have heard it said, do not murder I'll tell you if you're getting angry in your heart. Ooh, makes it a bit more personal, doesn't it? If you're getting angry in your heart, then it's like you've already killed the person. That's heavy, isn't it? These were between murder and adultery now. These commandments are good in that they bring this tension. Like if you're talking about anger, it might be, you might take this commandment and say, I need to be less angry. When I hear Jesus saying, you've heard it said, don't kill, but I tell you, if you get angry in your heart, so that when I hear that, I've got to say, hey, Craig, let's get less angry. When I hear the next commandment on adultery, I've got to be less lustful. You see how the commandments can help us if we hear them um, fairly often. In Ezra and Nehemiah, they used to preach from a platform the commandments and the laws, and the people would come back to their senses and repent. Interesting, isn't it? Adultery, here's a commandment that a lot of people wish was scrapped from the commandments. But nice if we could bring it back. Nice if we could bring it back. Much of the Western world thinks that immoral sex is just okay. Someone said they're unsure if they married the right person. Oh, I don't know if I married the right person. I like what the evangelist had to say about that as his response. He said, think back to the person who was standing next to you on the day of your wedding, who that person was. Have a good look at them. Think about them. Look at your marriage photo, that person, and that's the person that God wanted you to marry. 
Uh-huh. So if you're confused and you're well into your marriage, say, oh, was I meant to, um, I, I, I don't know if God wanted me to marry this person. Think back to who it was that was standing beside you on your wedding day. That's the person God wanted you to be married to. The rest is feelings, the rest is forgiveness, the rest is sorting out. We heard from the De Munfords how you make it 40 years today. Well done, guys. We need to work on this stuff and think about this stuff. The person you're sleeping with at the moment, are you married to that person? That's, that's a good benchmark, isn't it? Just check. The person you're sleeping with, are you married to that person? That's going to be helpful. That's what this, this commandment's pretty plain, you know what I'm saying? We want to keep it pretty plain and uh, let's make sure the person that we're sleeping with is the person that we are married to. God knows that sex before marriage is not good for us. That's why he'd tell us, don't do it. And when we see something in the Bible like, do not commit adultery, why don't we say, wonder why God would say that? Why would he say that? And maybe he's a good God and maybe it was good for me to keep myself for my spouse. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 15 to 17, St. Paul He says, if you get joined to a prostitute, you're married to the prostitute. In all aspects, you've become one spirit with the prostitute. You've become one flesh. You're like husband and wife with the prostitute. That's St. Paul talking, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 15 to 17. That's a strong picture, strong picture. Homosexuality, politically correct, so we're not supposed to talk about that anymore either, are we? The politically correct tell us, what we're supposed to talk about, not the Bible anymore. And we listen to the politically correct. Well, as a verse I can think of, do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is detestable. I didn't say that. The Bible says that. There's five or six verses like that spread through the Bible. I didn't say it. The Bible says it. I think we should be able to present the Bible in a free... When I first, before I went to the mission field, this was a free country. Is Australia still a free country? Don't ask difficult questions, Craig. Is Australia still a free country? Am I allowed to speak freely? Am I allowed to read out what the Bible says in a public meeting according to politically correct? Not anymore. And we should start cutting bits out that are uncomfortable because the politically correct told us to and govern way too much in our lives. See what other ones we can fit in before time. Five minutes. Lying. Do you like it when others... We can do this one quick. How many people here like it when people lie to you? Who likes it when people lie to you? And Jesus is just saying, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And then it becomes really simple about lying. Let's finish with coveting. Let's finish with coveting. Got to have the latest iPhone. Got to have if it's iPhone 6, I've got to have 7. If it's 7, I've got to have 8. If it's 8, I've got to have 9. Why? Because I'm important. I'm very important. And the advertising guys know that, and that's why they advertise to me like that. That's what the last commandment's about is. Number 4 would be okay, or Samsung would be okay for the humble. Okay? So, you know, that'd be all right, yes? Okay? So think about that. But here's the one, the neighbor. You're looking over the fence and there's a woman, or it could be a man on the, on the next door. Oh, they look nice. And you ask them to come over. 
But then when you get talking to them, you realise they had problems too. And in Australia, we say the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. But when you bring them over, you realise the grass wasn't so... And underneath the grass, it was a little bit dirty. There was some dirt there under the grass. And there were some problems with that. And you might as well have left the neighbour over there and stayed with your spouse and worked it out like you probably should have in the first place. Be content. Be happy. Be at rest. Believe that it's okay what God gave you and make the rest work with him by his grace. Grass is always greener on the other side of the fence unless you check the dirt underneath. Get content. Our whole advertising, everything is geared at making you discontent, uncontent. What's the word, Mark? Lacking contentment, contentness, contentment, lacking contentment. That's the idea of our advertising in our world. And this one's saying, be content. Don't covet. It's cheaper. (laughs) Samsung's cheaper. Stay on this side of the fence. Leave them alone on that side of the fence. You sort out your own laundry. Be content. Be at ease. A much better way to live, actually. Start getting involved with the other people after you marry. It's like, oh, it's a mess. Be content. Accept what you've got. Be where you are. It's okay. God's all right. God's got a good way, hasn't he? So when you hear the laws of God, say, oh, not the laws of God again. Not the laws of God. They're so boring. No, don't do that. Just say, why would they be there? Start to think about why would they, why would they, how could they be okay? Is it possible the laws of God are okay? Is that possible? And is it possible that the Western world have gone down the toilet at a fairly fast rate since we scrapped Christian morality, since we scrapped the commandments? Our society is kind of groaning. The Bible says that society is groaning because we've ignored God's ways for living. That's less than five minutes, Pastor Green. Less than five minutes. If you could stand with me today. If you could stand with me. Um, if you can do all these commandments perfectly, then you don't need Jesus. Jesus could keep all these commandments perfectly. I can't, and that's why I'm here. And for most of us, I think that's how it is. I wonder if we can close our eyes just for a minute. I haven't talked a lot about Jesus today, but you know about Jesus. You know about the forgiveness of Jesus. You know about the blood of Jesus. You know about the grace of Jesus. So just while we're standing, if those laws of the heart have been sharpening things up for you a little bit there today, and you say... I just want to come back, Craig, to God today and accept the forgiveness of Jesus afresh. I wonder if you'd slip up your hand at the moment and just say, I just want to come back to God at the moment. Thank you. I want to come back to thank you. I want to come back to God at the moment and just receive afresh the grace of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, because I need it. Somebody else today. Thank you. Say, I get the laws of God are good. I can see they're good. And I haven't been getting them all right. Thank you. I haven't been getting them all right. And I need the blood of Jesus afresh today. Somebody else today, you need to come back. You need to come back to the blood of Jesus afresh. That's good. Somebody else today, you might be saying, I need to give a recommitment of my life to God today. I want to recommit my life to God in a fresh way today. I wonder if you might lift up your hand today and say, I want to recommit my life to God at the moment. Thank you. That's great. Somebody else. I want to recommit my life to God. I want to give 
come back to him afresh today. Very good. Somebody else? Great. That's great. His ways are good, friends. His ways are good. So I'll ask the band to come back, the worship leaders to come back, and we're going to pray. And perhaps those people that have raised your hand, if you'd like to come forward, but any of us can come forward for prayer with the worship uh, leaders. Great to be with you. And um, tell them. Tell them what you're responding to. It might be a recommitment of faith. It might be accepting. You might have just accepted Jesus for the first time. So, Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your ways that we can walk in them, that they're good. They're different to our ways, but that's why we're curious about them. We want to get into them, Father. So minister to us now, God. Help us to get more into Jesus and receive more of Jesus' grace and love and the blood of Jesus. We commit ourselves to you afresh, God. And we do that, Father, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. So come forward if you'd like prayer. And uh, otherwise, there'll be coffee out the back. And God bless you. God bless you.